Hi, this is Anne Faison, and you're listening to Are We There Yet? Understanding Adolescent Grief. Today's guest is a friend who I met through my neighbor, and um, I was interested in talking to her because she lost her father at a really interesting time in history. And so we're going to be talking about how grief works in the larger context when it is sometimes overshadowed maybe by other events. So welcome, Diane. Thank you. And I'm just going to ask you a couple questions. I know you told me you're from Albany, New York. Yes. That's where you grew up. And um, if you don't mind telling me, what year were you born? 1946. Okay. So you were growing up in the 50s and, and into the 60s. Um, and so you told me last night that your dad died when you were 17. Correct. And, um, this was 1964? Three. 1963. And what month? November. Right. And so when was Kennedy's assassination? November 22nd mm. of that year. Mm-hmm. And so your dad had just died. When he had died happened. November 11th on Veterans Day. Mm. And so what do you remember about that period. I'm sure it's so long ago and it was traumatic. Um, but what stands out to you about that time in your life and how you kind of understood not only your dad's death, but what was happening to the whole country? Well, I think it was, um, you know, it was, it seemed like a positive time in history. We were, um, you know, I think in a fairly good economic time. And so the death, the assassination of the president was just pulled the rug out, I think, from everybody. Yeah. And um, and everybody says they'll never forget the day that happened. Exactly. It was poignant, like 9-11. People remember where they were, what they were doing when they heard that news. It was so powerful and sad. Mm. Do you remember where you were when you heard that news? Yes. Mm. Yes. And where was it? I was passing in the halls in school mm. between classes. Mm. And what was the feeling at school, or what did they do? Did they send everybody home? How did they handle it? I don't remember. I remember coming home mm. and telling my mom, because she wasn't listening to the TV or anything yet. Oh, wow. It was still a period of mourning at home wow. for 30 days. And so... I asked her, I told, I came home, and I said, Mom, we have to turn on the television. And she said, what do you mean? And I said, the president's been assassinated. So she was on, she was mourning her husband. What was the word you used? Shiva. Oh, she was sitting Shiva. But, oh, and after Shiva is like... Is a period of mourning. Right. Yeah. Right. About 30 days. Shiva's like a week. Yeah. And then for the 30 days after, you still wear a little torn black piece on your Mm -hmm. clothing and still remembering bringing that person still there. I mean, I wish we had more morning practices like that so that people around you would know, you know, to be gentle with me. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's so interesting. You you had to be the one to tell your mother. And she did turn it on. We did Mm -hmm. turn it on and we watched. Yeah. So can you remember, that just, to me, that sounds so confusing for a kid to have lost your dad and to go through this sort of national period of mourning. Do you remember those two things as being kind of mushed up together, confusing? Like, how do you think about that? Yeah, 
it probably shortened a bit my grief for my dad because mm-hmm. the focus changed. It was a worldwide yeah. tragedy. Yeah. So it shifted, and maybe that was good. Maybe it wasn't. We, mm-hmm. Who knows? Mm-hmm. You know. But um, then everybody was mourning. Yeah. So it did. It does sound like it sort of overshadowed. Probably. Yeah. What you were feeling. And then some of what we were talking about last night. You were saying that, you know, for economic reasons, you had to kind of get right to work and support yourself or support your the family, help support the family. Um, and that to me sounds like it would overshadow your grief or be a, in a way, a perfect way to let you ignore your grief for a time. True. Yeah. I think that's true. Mm-hmm. I think I got into a different gear. Right. Of just work, work, work. Yeah. And did and figure it out. Right. Figure it out for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And so was there a point in your life, I mean, it could be recent it could be decades later where you felt your grief was starting to catch up with you yes I I think as I mentioned last night I think it was probably much later in my probably late 20s early 30s where I was just finding myself in spells of sadness yeah and crying Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and not even prior to that realize thinking about him consciously Mm. Mm-hmm. It would just bubble out. Bubble. Right, right. And I can see it's bubbling a little bit right now. I still recall it. <laughs> there it is. Yeah, I mean, to me, that's what's so interesting about grief is that it doesn't go away. It's very, very present. I can see it's really present in you. And I don't want to, you know, push that right now because um, you, don't, you don't need to feel that right now. But are there other times, too, when you felt like, okay, I've just got to past this by now or did you ever feel impatient with it yes Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah when would that come up and would it sometimes have to do with other people's expectations or just your own uh I think my own Mm -hmm. I think my own and um and the fact that even today it's so easily triggered yeah to me I want to really just that's sort of the point of this podcast is for people not to have judgment about that that um if someone is still having the feelings of that original grief that there's nothing wrong with that you know there's absolutely nothing wrong with anybody holding those feelings I think it's actually natural I think it's just what happens and I think it's important for people today to understand that when a child is going through a big loss not to be saying to them at any point even when they're 60 70 years old hey you should be past this by now right yeah right. suck it up Get yeah. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. yeah so you were really busy working and supporting yourself and did you find there were times in your life when you were like i need to try therapy or i need to try something to help with this or no yeah I don't think it was ever suggested or talked about much then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and, and there was probably judgment about that, too. Yeah. So I just marched on. Yeah. Yeah. Pulling my bootstraps up. Yeah. Putting my big girl pants on. Mm-hmm. And yeah. moving forward and, and doing the best I can. Yeah. And really taking care of my health. Right. And that's interesting. So the, watching your dad be ill... 
yeah, what kind of effect do you think that had on your your attitude about your health and your attitude about the medical, like doctors and hospitalists and all of that? Um, you know, my dad had a really positive medical experience in in his book. Mm-hmm. He I adored his his doctor. Mm-hmm. And when I would visit him in the hospital, the nurses would say, oh, we're so happy to see your dad. And I'd be like, don't be so happy. <laughs> He's in the hospital. But the, he, he emoted. People just responded to him in a way that was very loving. And he was very non-judgmental about people. And so he people warmed to him very easily. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I, But I think it did uh, help me to say you know i'm going to take care of myself i'm going to i'm going to find out as much as i can about how to live a healthy lifestyle were you thinking that part of his issue was not living a healthy lifestyle i knew that it it wasn't cuz he wasn't living a healthy lifestyle or what they figured was healthy then mm-hmm. we were never allowed to have soda in the house went to farm stands to get vegetables together and so there was a sense of healthiness around him but because he had rheumatic fever as a child it left him with a hole in his aorta valve so interesting and i always looked at it as yes but it was from something that was unpreventable at the time and couldn't be treated because it was before antibiotics. Right, right. And so I'd never assumed that we had heart disease in the family. And then your mom, um, you guys didn't really talk about the grief or the feelings. Yeah. You're nodding your head now. No. <laughs> they can't see you. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, right. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> No, and, we really didn't. And anybody else? Were there ever teachers or other adults, maybe relatives or um, other kind of mentor adults around you that you felt like kind of acknowledged what you were going through? Or Not really. Yeah. Not really. Did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not even necessarily from my father's brothers. He had four brothers, my uncles, who I was close to. But um, not... I don't remember any of them coming to me and yeah. saying, I'm here for you. Right. Yeah. No, and do you just... think you would have appreciated that at the time? Oh, probably. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean, what's interesting to me is you're, what you're talking about is the culture of the time. Yes. And um, I know from my parents that their attitude when my mother was ill and when she died was, okay, we'll give you, you know, this set amount of time to grieve. It was about a month. And then you're expected to move on. Um, and to me, that is, I think it makes sense. I think if it, it you know, probably for many generations, that was all you had time for. Mm-hmm. I just think we're in such a different place with understanding our emotional life that we realize now, like, what that it lasts a long time, especially if it's unattended and unacknowledged. Um, and that we can be feel better with just people acknowledging it around us. I think especially as a young person. I think sometimes people don't know. And I I think I'm in the same position sometimes. I don't know how to respond and and how to be with people that have experienced extreme grief. Yeah. Yeah, so what is that like for you if you I mean, I'm sure you've had plenty of losses since your dad. Yes. <laughs> and um 
But have you been around, yeah, say a younger person who's lost someone and not known what to say, but known how they feel? Uh, yes, or, or not so much younger person, but, um, you know, having n- known people that have lost their children. Mm-hmm. And I think I still don't know quite, I want to be there for them to talk and I let them know that. But I also tend to back up and give them space. And I don't know if that's because that's how people responded to me or that's how I interpreted it or whether people want that. And I think people want different things when they're experiencing grief. Absolutely. And, you know, when people say, you know, call me if you need anything, I think that's an empty, and I've heard that from people that have experienced grief. Well, well, I'm not going to call somebody, you know? So I would call and check in. Yeah. And that was something knowing that they're not going to pick up the phone and say, can you come over? I'm feeling sad. I didn't find that people would do that. Right. So I would call and let them know. And you you can't even say, how are you? Because it's hard to know how to even address people when they're in grief. I think it's difficult for all of us. Yeah, yeah. I really appreciate you saying that. I think that's so true. And I have the same instinct. I want to be there for somebody who's going through grief because I know so deeply what it is. Yeah. And I literally want to be right next to them. I have that urge and I have to stop myself because I realize so much of that is just for me. It doesn't necessarily support them. So I do the same thing. I call, I make sure somebody knows that I'm thinking of them and that I'm available. And, you know, maybe I'll even say, I'm going to call you on Saturday. It's okay if you don't pick up, but just know I'm going to call, you know. Nice. That kind of thing. That's nice. So you let them know that you're really present, but you're not pushing yourself on them. And you're not trying to find something for yourself in it, like... I think often, and, and I know I've been in this position and when I'm grieving, is like people want something from me. They want to let me know how sad they are that I lost, you know, a baby. Yes, yes. <laughs> and it's like, well, that doesn't help me. Yes. I just need you to be a receiver, you know, to hear. And bringing food is something I do easily, sure. and that's my way of nurturing. Yeah. Is to bring food to people. And, and food is so helpful when oh, you're really so in it. So helpful. Yeah. You don't have to think about where dinner is and right. if you get hungry what you're going to eat and there's nothing in the house or yeah. yeah to So did you have later losses in life that kind of brought up the loss of your dad? Well, I lost all my uncles and aunts. Mm. And um and my f- dear first cousin that I'm very close to lost her son. Mm. Uh, she lost a baby at birth, and then she lost a son at 28. Mm. And um, and my daughter-in-law lost her sister. Mm. Yeah, so when those things happened, did you feel like your own grief coming up sometimes? Yes. Yeah, for sure. That's what I think is makes those of us who had an early loss sometimes so compassionate is because our, our grief is always right there. And so we really feel it when someone else has grief. Yeah. Uh, Do you think sometimes it is helpful to have those feelings, to, you know, really let them out? Does it ever feel like, ugh, a relief? Mm -hmm. I think I'm more embarrassed by it, that Mm -hmm. it still is so 
on the surface. Yeah, yeah. And that's just culture. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to be embarrassed about. And I, um, I love crying. I think crying is a wonderful thing. <laughs> it's very healthy for us. But um, one of the great moments of my life was a. I mean, it wasn't great that she died. A friend of mine died at age 30. And I remember talking to her dad. And here was a grown man telling me about memories that he had of her as a child. He was just a flood of tears. And he didn't, not only did he not bother wiping his face, which was drenched, he didn't ever apologize. He never said sorry. And people often say sorry when they cry, and I don't agree with that because I think we should never have to apologize for our sadness. Watching him do that taught me, like, this is so amazing to watch this mature man, you know, crying so freely and so openly with someone he doesn't know. He just knew I loved his daughter, uh, but we'd never met before. And so that was so moving to me, too. It was such a great example for me to know that you could do that. That's a beautiful thing. And it also means that he felt very safe with you Mm. in that space to do that. Whereas some people don't bring that out. Yeah. And he, it could have been, it could have been that he would have done that with anyone. I never had the feeling that I was allowing it. I think he was doing it with everyone. I think that's just who he was. Maybe. And it was a terrible time. I mean, he, you know, she had, she had been in a coma for a month. It was an awful ordeal. And watching her, um, you know, he was just like vigilant by her side for all of that. So it had just only been probably a month after she died that I that they did this ceremony okay. and I met him. And um, so it was all still really fresh. Yeah. And very understandable that he would be completely, you know, emotional through a right. conversation. But he was able to talk through it. Like he was just sort of ignoring the fact of the tears. The tears were almost like, yeah. even a drippy nose you would be more self-conscious right. about. Right. Right. <laughs> but I think it's really, um, I think it's quite beautiful, Diane, that you've held your grief all these years. It's still very much with you. And it's like, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it's like your dad is right there with you, you know. And you can feel him, and you can feel that missing of him right there. Yeah. So. He was an, uh, an example of unconditional love. Yeah. How did he express that, or how did you how did you feel that as a kid? Um, I think that um, he well he was just, he was very funny and he was very loving, and um, and and affectionate in a very healthy way and. Um, and because I had an older brother, they did a lot of things. He'd take him to the Adirondack Mountains and take him fishing and tip a canoe. I was always included. Mm. I was never at home with mom baking cookies, which I still love to do. But, <laughs> but you know, he included me. Whatever he did with my brother, and I was probably considered a tomboy or something, you know, but we'd go into the mountains and we'd, fish and he taught me how to hook a worm and you know mm. he just included me he was a an early what I'm gonna what's gonna happen for my son is gonna happen for my daughter yeah that is I mean for the time I guess you must have yeah. seen your friends not doing that right 
Right. That's, yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, it was very cool. And uh, so he, uh, I remember doing things with him more than with my mom, mm-hmm. much mm-hmm. more so. And when he was in the hospital, you talked a little bit about this last night, when you would visit him. Um, yes. He had a kind of a special attitude. Yes. Yeah. I didn't really see him as sick when I would visit him. He didn't complain. He was always so kind to, if the nurses came in to check his check him or whatever um you know he could be in an oxygen tent and and still be smiling and he had um he had a great attitude and um so I I remember that so clearly it was like visiting him in a way rather than visiting a sick person that I had to feel sorry for he didn't exude that at all yeah, and when someone is in the hospital, they're all yours. They they're not that's, going anywhere. That's right. They're not busy. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. those moments, those visits can be really meaningful and Yes. So he'd be in the hospital for a month and then out for two and then in for three and out for one and that went on for eight years. Wow. And in those days, um I would bring lunch to school and my my dad was in the Veterans Hospital in Albany, and this would never happen today, the, but the vice principal of the school took a liking to me, and a, he would take me on the lunch hour. He manned the lunchroom, and then we'd be out on the yard to play or whatever. He would take me in his car from school and bring me to the Veterans Hospital and wait in the car and say, go run up and see your dad. Wow. Yeah, no permission slips. No, mm. <laughs> He just knew that my dad, it was unusual for somebody at that age to have somebody in the hospital all the time. And once in a while I would convince him to come up with me. So he got to meet my dad a couple of times, but usually he told me, I'll wait here, run up, surprise your dad. Now that is a really great example of an adult who saw you yes. and saw what you were going through and supported you in a really special way. Amazing. Mm. Yeah, I think those kinds of things are so important um, to a kid. I mean, the fact that it stands out to you. Mr. Taylor, I can Mm. still remember him. And, you know, parents today would be freaked out by something like that. Right. (laughs) You know? Right. And... Yeah, if you, if he, I assume he's probably not around anymore. Um, What would you say to him now if you could talk to him? I would just hug him. Mm. What would you say to your... 17 year old self if you could go back and tell her you know like give her some advice about what how this was all going to unfold I think I would tell her that everything is going to be all right Mm -hmm. yeah so at 17 you probably didn't know that yeah no yeah but I didn't think a lot about it either. Sure. No, it sounds like that that not knowing things were going to be okay was the driving force behind. Yeah. 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 Because I, I got the rug pulled out from under me. Yeah. And I had to figure out a lot of things. Yeah. So I grew up very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you were telling me that you, well, right away you were working. Um, were you already working in high school? Or did you start working right 
after he died. Well, I always had babysitting jobs mm-hmm. and earned money that way. Right. But once I went to college and had to pay tuition, um, I worked on four jobs. Yeah, that's a lot. For yeah, a college student too busy. So I was never like going out with the girls and drinking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Never. Right. Never. I, I couldn't pay for it. Number one, I wasn't gonna. That was where I was gonna put my money. Right. So it was more serious, more inward, maybe, mm-hmm. and still very popular and happy, and had a lot of you know friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you did, you got married and had kids, like mm-hmm. everybody yeah. <laughs> was expected to do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how old were you when you got married? Twenty-four. And then you had your first child. I had twenty. I got married at twenty-three. I almost turned twenty-four, and I got pregnant one year later. Okay. So a year and nine months later. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And did you find, um, as a parent, that you had sadness around parenting because you lost your dad? I know I did. So I'm just curious if you only felt that in way. the fact that they didn't get to know him. Yeah. Yeah. And that he would have so enjoyed being a grandparent. Yeah. Yeah, those are the sad things about losing a parent young. Right. Knowing that they missed out. Right. And did you also feel like you could have used the the parental support yourself as a young parent? Never thought about that. It Mm -hmm. wasn't an option. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I didn't dwell on a lot of stuff if it wasn't an option. Right. Yeah, I think our generation is a little different than that. We we tend to think about all the things we don't have. <laughs> <laughs> Your generation is more like, we don't have it. Don't Move, have on. Move on. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think it's good in some ways. I mean, it's and it's interesting when um my mom died, you know, my dad had lived through World War 2 and and so death to him was a lot more of a normal thing and a, a present thing and He'd known so many people growing up who'd lost parents or been orphaned. and Right. So in so many ways, I think part of our aversion to talking about death and grief is because it's it's more rare. And so we're, we don't have as much practice. Um, That's true, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. In so many ways, I feel like I've had a wonderful life. Oh, yeah. I mean, sure. Yeah, yeah, what do you think your your experience of losing your dad kind of gave you? I was a fairly good risk taker and did things that a lot of people didn't or wouldn't have and it all turned out okay and it was always a great experience. But a lot of my friends growing up in intact families and being taken care of and having college paid for, they had a very different life than I did. Mm. And... And mine was still very good, very good. I've done a lot of things that I think, and I don't know if it came from losing him early. I'll never know, or whether it was part of my personality or something that was fostered in me to be independent and not worry about what others think or whatever. I love that. I feel the same. I feel... And I do think that when you lose a parent as a teenager, so when you're a teenager, you have that risk-taking urge. That's why teenagers get in so much trouble. They have a, they kind of have a, 
a need to take risks and it's good for them. It's, it's a way of learning who you are and what your boundaries are. And, um, but I think if you have lost someone in that time, you've already seen how, what can happen. People can die. Right. And, you know, you're still alive and you know that you want to live as fully as you can. Um, with the time that you have, you also know that you don't know how long you're going to live. Exactly. So you, 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 I know that life is fleeting. Yeah. I get that message early. Yeah. So I love that you're saying that you, um, you took a lot of risks you might not have. I think that's a beautiful thing. And it's a really, it's a really common thing around, um, yeah. Kids who've lost a parent. Yeah. I've seen that quite My a bit. dad always said to me when, because he had fought in World War II and never got a chance to go back to Europe, he always said to me, and he had to quit school in the ninth grade to help support his family. So he always said to me, when you graduate college, I want to be able to send you to Europe in peacetime. And then, of course, he died way before that. And so I did the right thing, went to graduate school, got married, had had a child, and then woke up and said, I've got to go to Europe. I was having dreams that my dad was coming to me and saying, you haven't been to Europe yet. So I sold everything, gave the dog to my mom, told my husband, we're going to Europe if you want to come. He quit his job, and we took the baby and went for six months and just hitchhiked around Europe with the baby. Whoa. <laughs> 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 with no jobs or anything to come back to. Wow, that is cool. And had what amazing year was that? experiences. What year was that? It was 1970 to 71. Met amazing people. Yeah. People took us into their homes because we're traveling with a baby with cloth diapers. I washed them on a washboard 24 every single night, hanging them all over Whoa, the place. There were no paper diapers in Europe. No. They were just starting in the States. And I heard they were kind of a mess. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I never used ones. them. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, that's wonderful. I love that. Um, and you guys, how great that your husband was willing to yeah jump off that yeah. cliff with you. Yeah, you yeah. had one backpack, and I had her on my back, and half of it was her stuff. He only had the pants he was wearing, and I had two. <laughs> and you were both in your twenties. Yeah. 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 Early 20s. This has been wonderful, Diane. Thank you. I'm so glad that we had this conversation and I learned so much. I hope that other people listening will hear your story and understand that any way that we grieve, any way that we hold our grief is okay. You know, it's good and it gives us a lot. Yeah. Thank you, Anne. So thank you for listening, and if you like the podcast, please rate it and review it and follow it so that other people can find it more easily. And pass it on. Send links to your friends. Um, That's the best way for more people to gain access to it. And lastly, I just want to thank Josephine Wiggs for the intro and outro music, the song Time Does Not Bring Relief is from her album, We Fall. <laughs>